You are listening to the Caffeinated Thoughts Podcast. Hi, this is Shane Vanderhart. Welcome back to another episode. I had the the opportunity and privilege to speak with Eddie Andrews. He's a candidate, a Republican candidate in Iowa House District 39. He is challenging State Representative Karen Derry, uh, a Democrat who uh, uh, won that seat that uh, ousted an incumbent Republican back in 2018, Jake Heifel. Uh So he's trying to win that back for the Republican Party. Uh, but he is a app developer. He is a, a minister. Uh, He's got a fascinating background. We talked about uh, mental health reform. We talked about criminal justice reform, police reform, uh, life issue, COVID-19, religious liberty, uh, improving our tax, uh, Iowa's tax environment. Um, I hope it was a lengthy conversation. I hope you enjoy it. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Eddie Andrews. Well, hey, Eddie, welcome to the Caffeine Thoughts podcast. Thank you so much for your invitation. I can't look forward to it. Can't wait. Great, great, great. So a question that I always ask every candidate that I speak with, uh, whether they're running for city council or they're running for president, why are you running for office? Well, um, I've always been passionate about our community. I've been active in service from as far back as I can remember. Um, I gave the example the other day about I was in ministry and, and helping and community and in service when I was just following my dad around, you know, for hospital ministry or something, or then later on following my older brothers around for um, senior services or some sort of community project. And then later on, I, I, I've been involved in, you know, my own personal ministry. Or I shouldn't say my own personal ministry, but you get it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that really wasn't related to them. As I kind of grew up, I got involved in um, community outreach, got involved in Spanish ministry, uh, got involved in music ministry, and so on and so forth. Um, and I started the Moines Spanish Conversation Group which is, as you know, we, 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 people learn how to speak Spanish in a very, very casual manner at Smoky Row. Um, and, but everything that I've done, it's always been some sort of bridging aspect to it and bringing people together and unifying. Um, and so I've always been involved. I've started Des Moines Spanish Besides the Moines Spanish Conversation Group, I started Mentoromics, which is a a tool that a group that teaches people how to code. And usually, we it's not limited to kids at risk, but a lot of kids at risk mm-hmm. take that, and we help really turn their lives around, and quite honestly, probably their kids' lives, when we take a lot of kids who are at risk and give them focus and and purpose and excitement really um, mm-hmm. that comes with learning how to code and when they see dollars in their, in their account based upon the fruits of their labor, so to speak, then it becomes, Oh my goodness. Yes. Let's learn more instead of, Oh my goodness, why am I here? And all of that led to, to this when 
it became time um, a few years ago when we had experienced mental health challenges in our in our greater family, and we were perplexed. I mean, we weren't prepared for it, and we tried our best to close the gaps and understand the, the navigation paths for parents and families. And we ended up losing uh, a family member. And that's when, that was just last year. And that's when I just said, you know what, this is time to kind of focus not on the other things that I've been working on, but to really focus and commit to closing the gaps in our mental health system. And that, even though I've got a number of planks, that is the reason that I'm running. Okay. I want to circle back to that. Uh, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? Um, how long have you lived in the district that you're living in now, uh, which is Iowa District, uh, House District 39 for our listeners, uh, which encompasses yeah. Grimes, Johnston, and part of Waukee? No, 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 no. It covers Johnson and Grimes, of course. Those two are correct. Okay. It is also Jefferson Township. Okay. And Urbandale Precinct 4, which Urbandale Precinct 4, for those of you guys okay. who don't know, that's effectively 86 in the interstate and have a triangle down to the school at 72nd and um, uh, what's that? Just north of the school. Effectively, that's the general area. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. So, tell tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, you, I know you already discussed a little, some of it a little bit, but um, I did. Give give us the official bio here. Where you know where did you grow up? Well, the official bio. I'm not sure this is official, but I did grow up on the east side of Des Moines, child number seven, and. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money, but we weren't poor. You know, that's how I looked at it. We sure. were just a family that, um, a loving family. We, um, you know, had high expectations set for us. We, um, you know, we just didn't have any money, <laughs> but, but then, um, I grew up, um, like I said, on the east side, I was the east side student government president, very active at an early age, went to the University of Iowa, majored in electrical and, and computer engineering, did some grad work uh, other places, and um, then later on did some some ministry grad work as well. Okay. Where'd you go and, for that? Um, assorted places. I think is the is the official answer. So we did some some intra denominational or intra organizational training uh, in several different organizations, um, and then I actually taught at one of the and directed one of the 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 colleges um, within one of the organizations, and then. Later on, I did um, some work at Shiloh, which, okay. by the way, is an is an Iowa one. And yeah, it's it's been it's all been about 
about learning more and and uh, always learning um, and and bettering and improving no matter what area I'm already at. So, okay. so how then, long? Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and then we we've been here in this district eleven years, and okay. we've been yeah, it's been a great great area. So, um, if elected, what would be your top priorities? We know mental health reforms one, and I, I do want oh, to absolutely. drill down on that. Yeah. So, matter of fact, let's go ahead and drill down on that. How how what do you think Iowa should be doing differently to, uh, to uh, better our mental health system? Well, you know that's an hour long conversation. <laughs> but, and I got to tell you, literally today, on we're out knocking doors every single day and I probably spent 20 minutes at one person's door who was talking about the same struggles that we had to, that we experienced as a family um, just from the, the beginning, the absolute very beginning when you, when you start um, listening to psychiatrists or seeking psychiatrists or finding answers or calling DHS or looking for some navigation tools or looking for, you know, what do you do if mm-hmm. your your child needs needs help? And right now, every person, every family has to really figure this out for themselves. There's not a phone number. There's not a place. There's not a navigational tool that parents can use. And he was sharing all of the the um, the problems and struggles that he had. I'll give you one example. Sometimes children, um, because of the mental health challenges that they have, sometimes they can't be at home. Mm-hmm. Maybe they, they've got a, a, they have violent episodes from time to time and while they're not themselves, so to speak, right. and they're getting well, but right now they can't be at home. Well, sometimes say you're at one facility and then you have to move to another facility and then you have to move to another facility. Well, that psychiatrist that may be at one facility is tied to that facility. So now that child is starting to open up, they're getting better. um, And now they move and now they have to start over with somebody they don't know, they don't trust. And they have to start all over. And it's like, well, my goodness, we were almost there. And so having some sort of transferability between institutions, I think that's a big one. Um, I propose rapid response mental health units. Um, Let's just say, uh, for the sake of argument, maybe there's a person with a violent um, episode. Mm -hmm. Half of police shootings nationally involve a mental health case. Right. This is a person... Maybe it's your kid. Maybe it's your brother. Maybe it's your sister. This is somebody who does belong to the home. This is not a thief. And maybe if we had de-escalation training or a rapid response mental health unit for kids who could accompany officers, law enforcement, who are trained in Mm de-escalation, that might be one assistance. Um, Okay. Then you have the whole thing with PTSD and veterans and um, schools and early detection, maybe having uh, putting training within 
training and, and learning within the schools so that counselors, and a lot of times we say counselors, but that may mean many different things depending upon the school. It may mean, you know, academic counselor. It may mean mm-hmm. whatever, but maybe having mental health facilities or um, a counselor, mental health counselor right within the school so that it's not talked about as separate from health. Okay. Um, I, I think a lot of large, yeah, yeah, I know a lot of larger districts actually do have school counselors, school psychologists, school social workers. Um, certainly smaller districts probably struggle in that area. Um, but, you know, one idea that, that I, I think I, I first heard after uh, what happened with George Floyd in Minneapolis and the rioting there and then the talk of uh, police reform, and which will probably be a nice segue into my next question because I know you, you, you're concerned about criminal justice reform. You touched on some of it. Um, but having, like, when somebody calls 911, you know, how you can say, you know, what kind of emergency are you having? Is it police, fire, um, you know, health, or you need an ambulance? But include mental health. And those, those, you know, menu of options, which would, like, you know, uh, would be that rapid response mental health unit. So let let me ask you about the mental health unit before we move on to criminal justice reform. Um, What would that look like? Would that be a county thing? Would that be a uh, community thing? Um, You know, what, what do you think that would take to get something like that going? Just state funding or what? Well, I think the last two certainly is going to involve state funding. I know we just got allocated $50 million state. Um, I believe 12 of that comes to Polk County. And I haven't seen all, I haven't seen the final details of that. Obviously I'm not in office right now, but uh, I believe that's going to be facilitated through the counties. I don't know that for sure, but um, we do need to address these kinds of things throughout the rural areas as well. I think you t- kind of touched on that. Some of the mm-hmm. larger areas do have that, but remember this is, even though I'm representing these districts or this particular district, these can really affect all of the rural areas as well, right. especially those where they do lack right. resources. Right, and so you know, I guess that doesn't necessarily mean you you need to put a school psychologist or a school counselor in every single public school. It could be you have people associated or hired by uh, their local area education agency who makes periodic visits or something like that, uh, because it may not make sense to uh, you know based on school population and all that to have you know one per school district. So uh, you know, I guess. Anyway, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm thinking there's probably different ways to accomplish that without um, hiring a ton of non-school staff for smaller school districts that may not be able to afford it. Yeah, that's going to be tough. Yeah. So um, what I want to ask you about criminal justice reform. That was one of your, I know one of your priorities you have listed on the website. What does that, you you touched on, on um, police response to people struggling with mental health. And I think that's definitely key. I, I think when that idea is floated, sometimes people, some, some of our 
our friends on the right um, uh, don't quite understand what we're talking about. We're not talking about supplanting police with mental health, you know, uh, mental health responders, but having them alongside police to right. to to, right. to help de-escalate. But what what other ideas do you have in mind for criminal justice reform? Right. Well, first of all, I think those those kinds of things are there's two different. I I wouldn't even put that as criminal justice reform. The first part, maybe please, I mean, yeah, rapid right. response, but, yeah. But uh, re this is an area that my whole family has been involved in, um, and you know, for as long as I can remember. And certainly as a black guy in Iowa, um, I've got a unique perspective. Yes, things do happen to black people um, that we can change if we, um, you know, if we work together, right? Mm -hmm. Let's take, when, I, when we talk about criminal justice reform, I've got a long list. It could be something simple like a probation. I think we've got, um, well, first sentencing and then probation. Those are the first two huge areas. Um, many of you guys know about the Clinton crime bill, the absolute, mm -hmm. in my opinion, the worst piece of legislation since slavery. It is horrible, horrible right. for black people. I've personally seen communities decimated, um, and for those of you guys who don't know what we're talking about, that was the Clinton crime bill, which, and I'm not trying to be partisan at this point, um, but Joe Biden wrote that. Right. That. It, it, he, was, it, he was the chief author. And I, I, again, I'm not trying to be partisan, but that's, that's just what it was. And mm -hmm. it specifically targeted drugs that black people tended to use in the inner cities. Right. Well, blacks and yeah. those in the inner cities. And gave up disparities between punishment. Yeah. Yeah, so, disparities between crack cocaine and powder cocaine. Yeah, right. Um, and, and so, it, when we talk about criminal justice reform, we're not always talking about the things leading up to it, but literally the the, the law itself. I've spoken with law, lawyers and attorneys who say, "Well, you know what? We can't do anything differently because that's what the law says," and that's why people in the inner cities would literally get locked up for some cases decades for what should be a misdemeanor drug, nonviolent drug offense. And that's just appalling. And that has to stop. Um, that's a fairly obvious one, but there's a number of non obvious ones. Um, mm -hmm. Like being in jail for getting picked up for an unpaid parking ticket or unpaid tickets like that's silly. Um, mm -hmm. because if you had the money, you, you would have already paid it. It becomes a money crime instead of uh, a crime crime. Kind of, rem kind of reminiscent of debtor prisoners, prisons. <laughs> You're dead, yeah. so we're going to throw you in prison. Well, how am I supposed to pay my debt when I'm in prison? Well, exactly. Shrug. Yeah. yeah, exactly. How are you going to do that? Or probation where you may be picked up on those kinds of crimes and – um, given probation, well, probation, you almost have to be become, um, you could be, you know, rolling, a rolling stop sign could literally get you thrown into prison for another two years. 
Mm-hmm. So it allows a completely unrelated um, crime to put you in, in prison. It's almost like double jeopardy, and don't quote me on that, but it it <laughs> similar to that from many perspectives. Um, right. Because it's you could literally be put in jail for an unrelated crime. Okay. Um, All right. What fair, are your thoughts on? Sentencing. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just. What are your thoughts on on, um, for instance, uh, cash bail? What in which way? Well, uh, as far as eliminating it, some people think we should eliminate cash bail because you literally have people who are stuck in jail uh, because they, you know, it's gotten better with pre-sentencing release strategies and things like that, but but sometimes you have people who are stuck in jail because they can't afford no, to make bail before they're ever, well, you know, try it, you know, before, before they ever, you know, have, they're tried by a jury of their peers. Um, so. I am aware of that and I've looked at it, but I, I, I hesitate to give a complete answer until I've sure. fully gone through it. But, the concept makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if I have, it becomes a money again. It becomes a money issue. If right. if you and I, let's just not say you and I. Let's just say if two of our neighbors, <laughs> let's blame the neighbors. If two people we knew did something bad, right, and mm-hmm. one had money and one had not. And one, the bell is set at a thousand dollars. The one with no money is still in jail. The one with money is out of jail. Well, does that seem like a fair sentence or fair? Um, but there are also um, examples where someone deserves to be in jail. Let's just say, you know, you just assaulted four people. And you're out, you know, maybe you shouldn't have, maybe you are a danger to society. Maybe you're looking, maybe you've declared that you've, you're looking for the sixth and seventh one. Hmm. Well, you're probably a danger to society and maybe bail should not be an option. Maybe you shouldn't have uh, a free pass out. So there are considerations on both sides. And quite honestly, I think it deserves some exploration Mm-hmm. I've I've always been open to to new ideas and and creative ideas. So if it if it if it passes the test, then let's let's try it. If not, then let's not. Okay. Um, I, I know part of part of usually gets lumped in with criminal justice reform, but I actually think it's somewhat separate. But police reform, obviously, a big deal has been made of that over the summer, um, and we saw a law quickly pass in Iowa. Uh, to kind of get the ball rolling in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, you already brought up, at least as far as de-escalation training for police officers, um, especially when they're involved in a mental, you know, a mental health situation or domestic situation. What are some of your other thoughts about police reform? Well, the the biggest one is, is accountability that I've, um, after George Floyd, I, I called the different um, law enforcement groups in the area and just I, I just wanted to know as a citizen, not necessarily as a person or candidate who's running for office, like can this happen? 
can this same thing happen here? Do we have safeguards in place? What are, are the policies that we have in place? Um, do we have issues on or or um, policies on chokeholds? Do we have or, or or knees on back? I'm not even sure what you call that. Um, mm-hmm. But what what do we have in place in this area? And uh, as a matter of fact, I have another meeting shortly this week, and I I just want to know. Um, my biggest issue is is there should always be some accountability mm-hmm. of of any public servant, including you know if you're in public service, the lights. No matter how tough the job is, and oh my goodness, could you imagine being a police officer? That is a job. Be tough. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, where you're asked to be uh, law, you're asked to be mom, you're asked to be dad, you're asked to be babysitter. I mean, that's a that's an amazing job, and we've got some great law officers. But for you mentioned George Floyd case. Well, the officer Chauvin had 18. Um, uh, excessive force complaints or violations or or issues and no one knows what that means no Hmm. one knows what that means does that mean oh officer my handcuffs are too tight or does that mean you know they're kicking my guts out so Mm -hmm. I don't know because it's an internal affairs kind of deal and I'd be open to citizens being included in that, a citizen mm-hmm. board where you'd have a combination IA slash EA, the internal affairs and an external affairs, mm-hmm. where people can, quote unquote, speak for the citizens to say, yeah, you know what, but, but keep things private because God knows we don't need um, that kind of stuff open, you know, and certainly don't want to. Um, add additional danger for officers. Right. And so, uh, but yeah, I would be open to one point of accountability. Okay. I, you know, just one thing I've, I've noticed, it's been really hard to, uh, again, being a conservative, talking to people on my side of the aisle about this, I think, some people are starting to understand the necessity. It's like, and just because you're talking about the need for police reform does not mean you're saying every single law enforcement officer is bad. But how do we convince people well, on the right? Not saying that. Yeah, yeah. How do we convince people on the right that this is something that we need to take seriously? And to I think shutting down conversation over this hurts with, and I don't I don't want to be craven here, but it hurts with voter outreach. With with people who are who view this view this issue differently, right? I yeah, and, and as a black guy, I get it. Um, I one of a friend of mine, a friend of mine. This, so this this guy told me he looked at me and said, um, "There's no such thing as um, as racial profiling because something happened to his wife with an officer, and that was a crazy situation." So. Therefore, since that was crazy, there's no such thing as racial profiling. And I just thought, do I engage this guy and sit here for 15 minutes, or do I just like, do I even start? Because <laughs> it was the, 
I mean, seriously. Um, and the approach was it wasn't asked in a it wasn't asked it was declared. You know, this does not exist. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you look at people who are on the right, let's just say it's the family leader, they are very pro criminal justice reform. Right. Because they get it. Look at look at people like Brad Zahn, obviously a conservative as myself. He's very mm-hmm. pro criminal justice reform. As a matter of fact, he entered the the racial profiling bill um, uh, when it was first announced. I want to say five or six years ago. He worked he worked with uh, acting my wife. Uh, mm-hmm. It was funny. He didn't even know we were related. Uh, he came to my launch party and says, oh, that's your wife. I've been working with her for years. <laughs> and um, and so, yeah, here's another thing, though. Uh, I've also talked with people who like data. And mm-hmm. the interesting thing is we talk so much about this that – but for, like, people who just, like, just want to know what the facts are. There's very few studies that actually talk about what the what the rates are, and mm-hmm. uh, there's a professor out of St. Ambrose who has done some of the first ones, and without getting into all the, the details and taking too long, what one of the few one of the first cities that he did was Davenport, broke it into the, like 30 different parks and. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, got a bunch of grad students to to measure the traffic at different times of day by race and so on and so forth. And then he did arrests and stops. And here's what he found. A couple of things that he found, uh, just a plethora of information. One of the first things that he found was that there was a 6% bias. And many of the black people in the room was like, were like, I'm pretty sure that's way too low. And many of the white people in the room were like, I'm pretty sure that's way too high. <laughs> okay, now what do you, when you and say 6% bias, what do you mean by that? That means blacks or, were stopped for a more, 6% more. Yeah. Oh, okay. But when you, and when you took out um, the visuals, meaning that you're a block away and you're on radar, the result was zero. And it's completely zero. It was just like nothing happened. Who cares? You're this guy speeding, this guy speeding. Who cares? And but if you look delve more into the numbers, and again, this is his study, and he's got, I think now he's up to like eight or nine, ten cities or something like that. It's really fascinating. And the traffic portion is obviously the easier one for people to understand, but there's they go in deeper. Right. And if you looked at the numbers differently. It becomes more what many people believe, that 95, 96, 97, I don't know what the exact amount is, 98% of the the officers appear to just be there doing their job, as you would expect an officer Mm -hmm. to to be. Everybody's right within where they should be. But then you have 1%, 2 or 3% of the people who throw off the curve for everybody. And so while the overall might be six, 2% of the people may be responsible for 10 or 15% of, of the, of the, uh, 
of the uh, oversampling the there. Yeah. Of the bias, yes. And okay. the, the, the point is that let's look at the numbers and then let's address what the issues are. Okay. Sounds good. Data-driven decisions usually are pretty good, I think. <laughs> Typically, you right. make better decisions when you have data. Yeah, and and, and get everybody ahead. at the table because and get everybody at the table. I think, like one of the things that that my whole candidacy is is based upon. Um, it's based upon a number of things. Number one, that I should, if I'm applying for the job, I should talk to everybody. <laughs> I should right. listen to everybody. Um, but also that. You, you have to talk to everybody. You have to get people with different opinions in the same room and sit down and talk. And if there's a problem, it's just like, you know, if you're at Thanksgiving dinner, which is coming up next month, right? You might mm -hmm. have Uncle Joe over there and Uncle Bob over here and Cousin Sue over there. And somebody may say something that's hurtful. Somebody may say something that, uh, needs to be said, but now that it's said, now that now that race is there, now that something mm. has been said, let's take this opportunity to address and explore. Hmm. Let's check this out. Maybe we, as a as a country, maybe we as a state, do have something to work on. Let's look and let's talk. Let's get everybody who needs to be at the table at the table. And let's discuss solutions. Okay. Um, I want to move on because I know you, there's other things that you you are campaigning on, and I wanted to view, what, ask your thoughts about the status of K-12 education in Iowa, and what could be done to address it or make it better. Oh boy, <laughs> I have lots of thoughts on that. So one of one of my I already mentioned our, our mentoromic program where we work with mm -hmm. a lot of kids. Uh, I would certainly like to see, again, these are the people that the system may not be working for, right? right. Uh, I'd like to see opportunities for them. You know, my granddad always used to tell me uh, two things. One, like, get that education. As he, um, that's my granddad invitation. Uh -huh. uh, get that education because nobody can take that away from you. You know, this is a guy who was born – one generation away from slavery. He didn't mm -hmm. know about being an entrepreneur. He didn't know about finance, but he did know about education. And he knew that was a ticket out. And he's always, uh, he put that in my mom. My mom didn't miss a single day of school from K through 12. I thought that was impossible until I actually saw the certificate. I just like, that's impossible. But... <laughs> The point is, education is critical. Um, I am glad that we we have uh, that kids are returning to school here in uh, Johnston, but I still believe that we we need to make options for those who are fearful or those who have um, uh, special cases at home and. You know, I remember even four or five years ago when we were we took one of our kids out of public school for for a minute, mm -hmm. and 
I should say, took them out of traditional public school and and put them in Iowa Connections Academy, which along with mm-hmm. K12.com, are both public online schools. And so mm-hmm. when people have options like that, if they, they're fearful or if they have reason for concern, we need to make sure that they are aware of those options as well. Fully, fully public, but fully online. Okay, um, what's your thoughts? What are your thoughts on school choice? I am pro school choice. I think parents have um, parents know best. As a matter of fact, one of my one of my uh, one of my head headlines on my educational plan is it's called parents know best education. And I think that's true for for most parents. They understand that their kids uh, all learn differently. Uh, I know for ours, we had uh, two kids in public school, um, and then we tried several options on the third one. And um, the the point is, we have options. Parents need options. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we also need to focus on vocational training. Vocational training gets overlooked. I was out chatting with the family in Johnson earlier today, and we we talked about the need for vocational training that often gets overlooked. Um, the um, I I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but we have some of the XQ training. XQ schools here in Iowa. One is called Iowa Big, and I've been looking okay. at some of those. Are you familiar with that? No, I'm not. So, what, XQ school? What is that? Well, it's one of those. To make a long story short, it is a. Uh, it's like a public charter school. Okay. Um, Steve Jobs' widow, Laureen Powell Jobs is one of the big proponents of it. It's kind of an interesting phenomenon because you have people who are on the left and people who are on the right who support those kinds of projects. But the the point is it allows uh, diversity of, of, of thought within a school system. Um, I think Iowa Big is uh, focusing on public service. Okay. Um, you could have one that focuses on uh, music, for instance, or whatever. But the point is you, you have options for parents. It doesn't have to be that particular system, but it could be something similar where you have a focus, a whole school that focuses on um, while you're still getting your reading, writing, and arithmetic, as we used to say, but it focuses long-term on a single goal. Okay. And I, I am for charter. I, I think the, that public, I think that the funding should follow the students, the student. Okay. And whether we call it vouchers, whether we call it. Um, Education savings accounts. Know, all the above. Yeah. And the, the yeah. 12 other names that it goes by. Vouchers have. Vouchers is the uh, direct school to or state to school payment, which, well, actually after the uh, um, trying to remember the Supreme Court case that they just had that basically 
didn't completely strike down Blaine Amendment language, which is based for a brief explainer is uh, uh, anti-Catholic bigotry that was written into law in the 1870s, preventing tax dollars from going to to uh, uh, faith-based schools. And, that, and, and at that particular time, they were targeting Catholic schools, but now it actually impacts, you know, any any uh, religious private school. Um, Okay. But Iowa has that language. Yeah, Iowa has that language. That's why we focus on um, education savings accounts, which it's, it's dollars following the kids rather than vouchers, which is, is dollars going directly from the state to uh, private school. Okay. I think. Well, and that just shows, by the way, <laughs> that where my head is versus you know there are still things that I'm still learning as a sure. as a candidate. We're um, by the way, we we often are meeting with other new candidates, and, and we often are meeting literally at three and four in the morning, uh, studying topics, you know, a specific topic, um, because we're we're all learning. Um, I, you know, to be honest, I have great respect for those who really want to serve and and uh, who are taking this job seriously and as certainly I am, but mm -hmm. um, I don't know all of those terms, but I certainly understand the concept that, that we need sure. to give our parents more options to educate the kids in the way that they see fit. Right. Right. So, um, and I know we've, we're, we've been <laughs> talking for a while, so I just want to hit on a couple different things quickly here. Um, you are pro-life, correct? Yeah, of course. As well as a okay. minister, I you almost have to be right. That's we as a faith-based minister. It's it's an honor uh, to be among the land of a living, as we used to say. Life uh -huh. is precious, and the Bible calls us to defend the defenseless, right? And what what is more defenseless than than um, than a life in a womb. And so I think, though, we often, though, focus on the actual act and not um, providing people with options. And I say that because many women don't, and, and I know this because many women tell me this, and we talk about this, even people mm -hmm. on, our, on our team, we talk about um, what can we do. And many women don't go into an abortion clinic primarily because they they just wanted to have an abortion. A lot of times they don't feel like they have any options. Um, there was one, oh, I can't say the school now, but there was talking with one late, young lady who had to change schools because she was pregnant and mm -hmm. it was such an embarrassment to the family that that came up as a consideration because, you know, the shame for that family was such that, now she's got to change schools or, mm -hmm. you know, health care isn't always available uh, in the way that they want it. And and I'm not saying there, there are not options, but we need to make sure that the options that are available um, are, are on top of mind. Right. So any ways to maybe streamline, adopt, you know, adoption, for instance? Um, 
because it seems like adopt. Sometimes it seems like it's easier for some couples to adopt overseas than it is for them to adopt, you know, within here in the United States or even the state of Iowa, uh, which is sad. Um, but on the other hand, you know, we've also seen the headlines adoptive families um, abuse kids too. So some of those red, <laughs> some of that red tape and those hoops are good as well. So um, promoting yeah, Christ. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't always quote um, former Democrat um, <laughs> candidates for president, but um, Andrew Wang had a, a few comments about about this. Um, and he's an interesting guy. Is, exactly. He is. He was one of my favorite. He's one of my favorite. He was one of my favorite Democratic candidates. You got to you got to at least admit that the guy was interesting and. Yeah, uh, I love people who think outside the box. I, I love people who aren't a copy, carbon copy of the next person, you know, Right. and had interesting ideas. And so one of the things he said is, um, even though he's pro-abortion, I think we need, again, in his words, they need to get away from the idea that abortion is to be celebrated and that we should do everything that we can to reduce that and you know having families um, is a wonderful thing I I think though it's it's a comp to 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 quote the old Facebook thing it's complicated right Mm -hmm. we we need we need to work with people to make sure that um, it's reduced um, and you know, we need to understand, or people, we, we hope to help to under, to get people to understand the value of life. Right. Yeah, so it's definitely not something that could be, you can't legislate it away completely. Right. Um, there needs, you, you need to also tackle the culture, uh, build up a culture of life. We want to make sure there are alternatives available. We want to make crisis pregnancy right. centers and maternity ministries they are huge right and people need to understand that that people care um mm-hmm. you know there are there are options people really want what's best for the woman and um you know it's it's complicated people and if they if those young ladies typically are young ladies if they see the only option is adoption because they feel like there's 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 not a, another option then that's what they're going to do and so we have to be there for them long before that decision okay. is made okay um I want to ask you your thoughts on the state's handling of the covid 19 pandemic well <laughs> that's an open-ended question you know i think Everybody, in retrospect, I think we we all feel like there could uh, we could have done certainly things differently. I think Governor Reynolds has tried to be a data driven governor and looked at well, what's the data tell us? What does this tell us? What does this tell us? Well, then let's work with this area um, or this county and and try to try to get this under control so i certainly appreciate 
that she's been um, uh, a leader in, in terms of trying to base her decisions based upon data. And we do have to respect the Constitution, which allows us freedom. And, you know, Americans are we, – we have that independent streak in us. You know, mm-hmm. many people would say, you know what, if you would have asked me, I might have done it. But now you're telling me I'm not going to do it. You know what I mean? And so right. We, we love our freedom. I once loved their freedom. And I think two things. One, you do have to be concerned about public safety and individual liberty, and that's that's where the the whole crux is. Does right. my individual liberty um, impose on quote unquote community safety? And you know, even now we're we're still getting conflicting um, reports. I mean, remember early on when we had, well, masks are good. Well, masks are mm-hmm. not good. Well, masks are really good. Well, now they're really, really not good. And these are from the absolute best, quote-unquote, professionals. And so I think it's in, incumbent upon us as, as individuals to take the virus seriously and to take as many precautions as we possibly can uh, and respect our neighbors while still being um, respecting our own individual liberties that uh, are constitutionally given. Should should there uh, be a a check on Governor Reynolds' um, powers to to order a you know public health emergency? Uh, should there be a sunset on that, or where she has to go to the legislature for approval after so many a uh, period of time? Because it seems like right now it's unlimited. Well, I've actually talked about that, and I know I've talked about not so much for – I would take the governor's – Governor Reynolds' name out of there. I think for any any executive, it would be interesting to have the, the conversation about um, after, say, 30 days, after 60 days or whatever. Maybe there has to be a um, a discussion with the legislative leaders or something like that. Because what happens if you have another governor who says you must shut down everything, mm-hmm. right? It's it's always – it's not the governor that uh, that we agree with that we are – that this is typically for. It's the governor that we don't agree with <laughs> that, you know, let's just say someone says let's shut down for 30 days. Let's shut down for another 60 days. Let's shut down for another 90 days. And – Zebra saying, wait, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up, right? Right. And, yeah, so I, I'd be open to those kinds of conversations. Okay. Um, how can Iowa better protect religious liberty? Because it seems like, um, well, we see it at least in the headlines and when we've seen challenges in the courts, it's, it's, it's the intersection between LGBTQ rights as well as uh, – right to, to religious conscience that seem to become head to head and current, you know, we have that potential in Iowa because of our, the Iowa civil rights code. Um, does Iowa need a uh, religious freedom restoration act? And would you support something like that? 
Well, you may be a little bit ahead of me uh, on that particular one. Uh, I don't know exactly what what that means, but I do certainly understand the need for for religious freedom and religious liberty. And there's a reason why it's in the in the First Amendment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that without having seen the exact text of what you're referring to, um, I would lean towards what's already written in the Constitution in the First Amendment. Um, right. And, yeah. But I'd, okay. be, I'd be open to, dis- open to further conversations. Okay. It's, it's basically just a legal pathway for defense. But, yeah, I, I'll have to send you a link to some language um, that we've had bills Unfortunately, it's kind of died because you got you, um, you, bi- see, it. <laughs> I was going to say, here's the thing. I am not a politician. I'm learning to be a politician. Um, right. What I am is a, a, I try to be a principled person who values the Constitution um, and tries to base what I believe and what laws that I introduce um through the eyes of the Constitution, is this does this fit the principle? Does this fit the principle or not? And if it doesn't, then I'm not going with it. Okay. Um, my last question: uh, How can Iowa better improve its its tax and business environment? Uh, in a word, lower. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Lower them. Um, it's interesting because one of the first things I I, I wanted to talk about, um, even when I started introducing some of the, the, the proposals for our mental health uh, issues, I immediately started talking with tax professionals. I immediately started talking with budget professionals, uh, the data nerds, so to speak, uh, uh-huh. to really see – what what does it take to actually do this? Uh, can we do this in a revenue-neutral way? Um, do we need to change our tax model? And I'm all for moving our tax model towards, say, a Carolina or a Texas or a Florida, those kinds of models. Uh, obviously, that's a multi-year process, but I've been mm-hmm. researching and learning about what that means and looking at data to, to see if that's sustainable and how it works and why it works um, for some states. So ultimately, I would like to move more towards that model than a traditional um, traditional state tax model. Okay. All right. I just want to give you your last word, maybe a, a quick 30-second elevator speech uh, about why people should support your campaign, where they can learn more. Well, first of all, they can learn more at eddieandrews.com or on our Facebook site of Eddie Andrews for Iowa. Um, I've always been in service in some sort of way, and I am asking for your vote if you guys are in Johnston, Grimes, Jefferson Township, or Urbanville. You know, it's interesting. I've, I love this community, and I'm running to make it a little bit better. You know, I've always been a problem solver. Um, I've always been the person to, to come to when people need solutions. 
you know, whether that's in my daytime job as a, an app developer where I just listen to people, hear their problems, solve problems, or whether it's as a bilingual minister where, guess what, I listen to people, I hear problems, and then I solve problems. We provide relevant solutions. And I got to tell you, I am going to be the best listener. Nobody's going to be a better hard worker. No one's going to be a better fighter for their families than Eddie Andrews. And whether that's on mental health, whether that's on education, whether that's on family safety, whether it's on low taxes, whether it's on my proposals on uh, entrepreneurial zones to create more jobs on from smaller ones or one in two um, um, entrepreneurs, um, I'm going to be fighting for Iowa, fighting for this district. So would love to have their vote. Please call me at 515-800-IOWA. That's 515-800-4692. Or go to eddieandrews.com for more information. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much. And God bless you and look forward to seeing uh, next week's results. All right. That's, thank you so much. Best wishes. All right. Bye-bye. All right. God bless. Thank you so much for listening to the Caffeinated Thoughts Podcast. That concludes today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found it informational. Uh, if you happen to be listening to this podcast somewhere other than on our website, please be sure to go to caffeinatedthoughts.com. Again, that's caffeinatedthoughts.com. Or you could just Google Caffeinated Thoughts and it'll show up at the top of your search screen. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, uh, sign up for our emails. That way you don't miss a single update. Um, also, it, I think it would be better, f you know, better for us and more convenient for you if you haven't already subscribe to this podcast on a variety of different uh, podcast apps, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, Podbean, and Blueberry. Um, hopefully, more soon. Uh, but that's what we're on currently. Also, feel free to just drop me a line and say hi. And I like when people reach out. Shane at caffeinatedthoughts.com. Let us know what you let me know what you thought of the podcast, as well as if there's a particular app we're not on, you know, drop a suggestion that way as well. We'll see if we can make that happen. So until next time, my friends, have a great rest of the week. God bless.